one of the things we do in fingerprint learning is we, we flip a question. So instead of a child saying, how smart am I? We teach them to say, how am I smart? Ooh, nice. When you talk to children, and, and this is like from P7 upwards when we're doing workshops, and you say, oh, you know, how smart are you? And you ask them to grade themselves like between 1 and 10 on a scale. They have no difficulty putting themselves somewhere along that scale, just like that. They have already worked out how smart they think they are. And then you go on to talk, and it's usually based on exam performance. Mm-hmm. And it's usually based on a hierarchy of exams. English, math, science, not drama, dance. Yeah, who cares if you got an A in art? That's not smart. (laughs) So, and of course, transfer is a very good example of that. Whether you're for or against transfer is irrelevant to what I'm saying. It tends only to test English math science. You with me? So that hierarchy is being built in there. John, I've never thought about that once in my life. Where's the music in the AQE? Or sport. (laughs) Or, okay. So, So if you say, so every child has, I think, probably hardwired into their thinking by the time they're late primary school, if you say, how smart are you? Well, I'm not as smart as him, but I'm more smart than them, usually based on exams. So we flip that and we say, it's not how smart are you, it's how are you smart? Mm. And we have eight ways of looking at smartness and they're all equal. There's no hierarchy, okay? Words smart, body smart, nature smart, seeing smart, people smart, numbers smart, self smart. I think I got them all, okay? okay and and so, we, so we say, now what we're gonna look at is how are you smart? And we're gonna take examples of some of these that are illustrated by negative things. Do you get into trouble for talking too much? Oh, that's interesting. I like how you do that's that. That's a word smart child. Now, here's an interesting thing for me as well, because often word smartness, which is phonological smartness, is valued in school by in terms of reading and writing, mm-hmm. but not just verbally. Yeah. And there are some children that are very good verbally, but not so sharp at reading and writing, for so, instance. And this is interesting because the marketplace values and rewards those types of people immensely. They're your HR, they're your salespeople, but not school. Not school. So uh, people smart. Um, uh, I was thinking about, oh, body smart, okay? Do you get in trouble for getting out of your seat a lot <laughs> or shifting around your chair, okay? Mm-hmm. So we take certain negative things or do you get into trouble for tapping your pen on the, on the desk? Music smart, mm. you with me? So what we do is we help the children to find out how am I smart and which are my stronger smartnesses? And one of the most exciting things for me sometimes is, say you're doing this with so-called needs, children who've not been in, they're not in education, training, uh, employment, anything like that. They're at the bottom of the educational pile and you do this and they come out with six strong smartnesses. And you're saying to them, and this is what I do with them, say at the end of this, I say, now you tell me how you're smart. And they're saying, maybe for the first time in their lives, I am body smart. Mm. I am seeing smart. I am people smart. And the thing is that most of those smartnesses are not rewarded in school. Um, I'll tell you a beautiful story here, just um, it's appropriate at this point, but there was one school in North Belfast, Lowood Primary actually, and the principal, David Patterson, just retired there. And we did training with his staff many years ago, and he got this. And what he began to do was uh, the, the kids did their numeracy and all the other things, but he awarded children in assembly every week or two weeks the award for being the seeing smart, the body smart wow. child 
in junior primary and senior primary. And when you walked in the door of the school, the first thing you saw was a board with the photograph of the child who had got that Smartness Award. That's cool. So the children were being motivated and recognized Mm -hmm. for their smartnesses. Yeah. And this was being built, and he said to me later, later, this was the single thing that had built the most self-esteem in those children. So they were aware of this going through school. So we had an interesting uh, uh, incident. Um, I was discussing with how difficult it was to get parents into school. And so I thought, well, at that stage, I had a young um, uh, friend, and you called Joel M. You may know he's now, I'm thinking Blue Peter, and uh, he's a mentalist. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Joel had, had, uh, um, we'd had conversations about the different smartnesses. He was really interested. And very kindly, we sort of made an agreement that when the kids brought the children up to school in the morning to get them to come into the school, Joel would do a performance instead of assembly. Nice. So he did his performance and wowed the children, wowed the parents. And then I said to the, the children, right, what kind of smartnesses? Well, Joe would need mm. to be a magician. And like that, they were up. People smart, body smart, word smart. The children saw in him That's awesome. the smartnesses that were needed, which I thought was absolutely brilliant because it had been in, built into them. Yeah. And therefore, they valued themselves and one another for their smartnesses. So I, 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 I saw, there's a good example of how you could build that into a whole school approach yeah. in a way that was so fulfilling for the kids. Yeah, I really like, there's a, a previous guest on this show. Her name's Sarah Fryer. Mm-hmm. She runs a, I don't know what it's valued at now. It's a billion, if not multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. company in Silicon Valley called Nextdoor. And what her big life mantra is you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, really subscribe to that. And I think something that would have really benefited me growing up is more examples of what people are doing in the marketplace yes you know hi my name is jimmy and i exactly. was i was really good at english and art and i didn't really i couldn't be a lawyer i couldn't yes. be a doctor yeah, yeah you know what hope did i have but i went off and i i became a one of the most successful logo designers in the world and i've worked with Absolutely. nike and i've worked with that you know because like that like, like that joel joel m moment it's just an unlock where you're like, ah, my smart can be used in this way. Totally. It's going to be valuable. So, and so, so this is what we actually do with the kids in school. So they go through and we say, here's your strongest smartnesses. Okay, now, what kind of jobs could someone with that smartness do? And again, the kids are coming up with all these ideas. So then we take them through a list of options. Okay, if you're not word smart, forget about that. Seeing smart, what about these jobs? What kind of jobs would you be interested in there? And maybe they list three or four. By the time they finish, they have come up with three top careers mm. based on their smartness. Now, that's part of what I call my 4A program, and that's the second A, which is aspiration. In other words, if you raise aspiration, you're more liable to get achievement. Yeah. And you raise aspiration by helping a child know how they're smart. And this goes back to what I was saying before. It's rather than a deficit approach saying, you don't have this, we're going to get you here. It's an asset approach. What do you have? Mm. Therefore, what could you be? And Joel, that, that aspiration yeah. bit is really important as well because let's say for something that is not going to change in the system anytime soon, yes. like getting a C in your English and your maths. Yeah. If someone has that vision in their head of actually, I'm going to be... A, a bomb disposal person 
I have to get my mask. Absolutely. I have to get it. Absolutely. So I'm going to do everything I can to get that. Exactly. And so if you, and again, this is what I don't understand, because if you've raised the aspiration level, you can raise the achievement. But if you don't, if a teacher doesn't know what the smartnesses of the children are, they don't know how to latch on to that. I'll give you a lovely simple example. When I was first cutting my teeth and this kind of thing, I had a, it was a, a group of mothers I was working with. And one mother said that her, her child, her son who was not word smart, had been given a homework to do. And he had to write out words beginning with every letter of the alphabet. And the, the child was in fear because he knew he wouldn't be good at it. But he loved birds. Ooh. And so she got it and said, now, let's think of a bird with getting it every day. And he had it done in about 20 minutes. That's incredible. She went through his nature smartness yes. to help his weaker smartness. Wow. Now that, again, that's not rocket science. And this is something, and I'm passionate about this, Matthew. You can put this in the hands of parents. There's an awful lot of parents out there as well, and in these underachieving communities as well. They think they're not smart because yeah. they didn't well at school. But if you changed the question around and said, no, how are you smart? Mm -hmm. And they discovered where their smartnesses were, and they used those smartnesses to help their children feel they were smart. Yeah. This is only by upstream thinking. Yeah, Would yeah, that yeah. not affect the stream that you're trying to work with now? Absolutely. Where we're laboring, laboring to try and get them up to more C's at, at GCSE. Mm -hmm. It is not rocket science. But you've got to go back to the brain again. This yeah. is what's so critical about that. So I was given a group of um, young men in, in uh, Hyde Bank. Uh, as a pilot scheme for, for this kind of work. Which is a high security. High security for, for young offenders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 16 to about 19 year old, okay? And this was, they were gave me the worst group and I had three <laughs> groups of five. And I said to them, um, uh, uh, I said to them, right, what would you like to do when you get out of here? And they're all fairly short term. Uh, silence, no aspiration except one. One wanted to be a porn star <laughs> and the other one that was a foreign student wanted to be a, a translator. Yeah. So, we did the smartnesses, and that was hard going because I had them for about an hour. You couldn't get; the, I had to give them two or three smoke breaks to keep them <laughs> motivated. Okay, again, that's the brain. Yeah, What's yeah. going to keep them motivated? By the end of the second workshop, they all had three careers. Wow! You with me? Three careers yeah. based on their smartness. Yeah. Now. The challenge then was for Hyde Bank, which had become a college, to use that mm. aspiration to help them achieve. And I, unfortunately, couldn't be responsible for that. Yeah. But I, I thought there in two sessions of really difficult situations, teaching circumstances, I was able to help them get three career choices yeah. from nowhere. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, the, before you, you give the example of Hyde Bank, I actually was going to go to people on benefits mm. and I often think that actually one of the failures of the system is not showing people a better alternative Yeah. because let's be honest I think COVID put a lot of us in this situation where it's like alright this is what it's like to be at home yeah 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 this is what we can do Netflix yeah. is 10 quid a month yeah yeah you know YouTube is free yeah uh, man John going to work's really hard yeah and you know especially it's really hard to go to work whenever I'm only getting Fifteen hundred, two grand a month. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll just not. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have that, if you let raise that level of aspiration, aspiration like yeah. you say, yeah, then it's a totally different ballgame. But so, so again, so that's my four A's. You see, the first A is attitude. 
counter can't do attitude, then build aspiration, then build achievement using all the various of learning. And then the last one's access to employment or further training or something like that. So the goal is access to a future, yeah. but you start by raising aspiration. Yeah. I'm going to come back to, to this kind of thing that I'm stuck on. I'm bought into what you're saying. I really am. Can a school system do it? Because it sounds, again, being a cynic, I'm saying this is something that in my mind can only work on a one-on-one rather than a, a 30-on-one or whatever the ratio is for so, students. So, you, I mean, you've, hit the, you've really hit the challenge there. So let me give you another little simple example, okay, yeah. of, 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 of how change can come about. So when it comes to careers, advice for young people on the spectrum, it's abysmal. The employment rates for children on the autistic spectrum are absolutely abysmal across the UK. Uh, so um, two friends of mine began to work on a software program to help children on the spectrum get guidance into careers that would match what they would be good at. And, uh, and they decided as a diagnostic for the young people, they would use the smartnesses and the right and left brain, which we're going to come on to hopefully shortly, okay? They built that in. And what they found as a result of that, they have now built the most amazing program to help children who are on the autistic spectrum not only match with careers that they would be able to do and and be, be ready to do, but they've also built the software that can match that to employers so that employers are matched to how to help that child mm-hmm. make the adaptation to their work and the same for the child as well. So, so you're, you're basically trying to find ways to outsource it and use technology to handle the scale aspect to it. And, now, and that has been so successful in terms of career um, guidance. Yeah. It's now being seen as that we should do this for all children. Yeah. All children. But so, so that's so, the so way now it's being being uh, ruled out. Now you're starting to pull me in. Okay. Have you used chat GPT yet? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, write it down. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll have a lot of fun with that. So it's it's the most powerful, accessible form of AI that I've come across, right? Right, okay. And swept the world, you know. Uh-huh. Fastest growing thing in the planet. First a billion users, beat everybody by like 400% or something mm. mad like that. And I can see now that if you add an AI component to what you're talking about, right. where you can feed AI, say, a child profile, yes. these are the three smartnesses yes. smart, in, in your kind yes. of language. Um, also, by the way, they come from a single parent home and they're on the autistic spectrum yep. and X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. The algorithm, the yeah. AI can then go and do its thing, turn its cogs and spit out, okay, here's, here's the next best steps based on this individual that we have in front of us. And uh, that, that now I'm starting to actually buy so that's more what, okay. what you're saying. So, and, and this is where technology is absolutely brilliant on this. And that's where this, I mean, the, 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 the um, Damon and Colleen, they run this company called Damgeo and Cleos is the software they've devised to do exactly what you're saying. Nice. And what they see the potential of is when you start on this with where the technology is going, it can take you in all kinds of places. For sure. Why would we not be using that? Very good. But, but f- I suppose what excites me, of course, is that it's building the smartness. It's going back to the brain. Yeah. It's saying, how am I smart? 
Yeah. Rather than how many GCSEs did you get or how many U levels and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So that's so that's now I want to come and answer some of your questions, okay? But when it comes on to the <laughs> grain of the brain, so part of my approach is there are eight different grains here. Body smart, you with me? That's part of a child's grain. Would that not help a teacher to understand what the grain of that child's brain Mate, is? I'm literally picturing, you know, you're in employability class or careers or whatever it's called these days, and you're on your computer and you're you're engaging with this software, and yeah. it can be in such a way where you can talk to it. It talks back to you. Brilliant. You ask it questions. It gives you feedback. It t- tells you this, tells you that. You know, it spits you out five options. You click on one option and it spends t- 10 minutes yep. talking you through that option, showing you, here's three YouTube videos of people who work in this space. Yep. Here's 10 podcasts to go away and listen to. Here's a book that you should get for Christmas to read about it, blah, Absolutely. blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. You've got, I mean, you're saying it. And, <laughs> and so the potential for the potential for something to happen is there, Matthew, yes. with me, as never before. Yeah. So let me go on then to this other aspect of the green name, which is the entrepreneurs. Because I, I got, um, uh, part of what got me into the, um, uh, I was going to say this because and, and it was important to me, part of what got me into the brain, sorry, the education world at all from a medical background was that my first wife and I started to homeschool our daughter. For various reasons. So there we thought, it is, we thought John. We'd give it <laughs> You've let the cat out of the bag. I and, love it. Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and then in, after the first year that my wife died, suddenly one just one night she took a, a massive hemorrhage and died. And I had to decide whether or not to continue on the homeschooling mm. or to send my daughter uh, uh, into mainstream schooling. And for various reasons, I decided I would just give it a go. And with the help of friends and so on, we were able to continue then. That was what got me onto my journey in education. I was forced into it. Very interesting. The next phase of what I was in now, so I was into the whole area of the brain and education and began to think out, think and learn, so into that. And then about 1997, I had a complete breakdown, largely stress-related. And um, at that stage, I was just beginning to get into uh, understanding more about th- what was coming out in the neuroscience about right and left hemispheres. Mm-hmm. And it w- in my own personal experience of that breakdown and my insight into what was happening in my brain, that sold me on what I was learning about what was coming out of the neuroscience. So I'll explain a wee, just a wee bit about I'm that. I'm going to ask, ask you to pause now. Okay. There's a lot you said in, in that 90-second okay. period there. So homeschooling. Yes. I only learned recently that it's totally legal and viable and you can do it in Northern Ireland. Yep. I always thought it was only in America. <laughs> that's what I that's what we originally thought. <laughs> until the legislation said in school or otherwise. Yeah. And there actually used to be, uh, I don't know if it's still going or not, an organization was called Education Otherwise <laughs> that showed people how to use an option. That's awesome. Um but that's part of my well, as we'll see shortly. I'm I am naturally a right dominant thinker, okay. and that was part of and part of your right dominant thinker is nonconformity. So it was part of my nonconformity that uh, pulled us in that direction. I'm, I'm probably with you on that front. And, and because my first <laughs> wife had been a teacher, she was up for doing it. Yeah. I'm not saying it would be for everybody. Yeah. And, I mean, eventually she did go to school and stuff like that. It's so. interesting. I don't want to dominate because the, there's too much we need to get into. Uh, if you, there's anyone you can recommend to get on the show about homeschooling, 
I think that would be a really, really interesting topic. I, um, I don't know anyone at present, actually, um, but I think... I'll it put it out there, anyone listening or watching, uh, if you know anybody, give us a shout. Because I'm interested in that uh, that otherwise type of education, yeah, you yeah. know, even private school and stuff, because I think we can all agree that, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful to have the education system that we have, but it leaves a lot uh, lacking, I think. Well, for, so, for so that brings me on to my next passion if you want which is about the grain of the brain one, uh, one, one, sorry go ahead a oh, sorry more seconds so you were you were a doctor yeah yeah and then you got into education kind of via homeschooling yes that's interesting is it true that you set up something in uganda my first when my first wife died um Suddenly, we had it was four weeks after we had been to Uganda to visit a doctor and his wife who had just gone out to set up a clinic at that stage on the steps of a church because there had been genocide in the area and there was no medical facilities and they were actually operating and like it was pathetic. But the fact that there was a doctor there. There were just crowds of people coming. So we had gone to visit them because they'd been members of our church. And uh, uh, when Barbara died, some friends suggested, why don't we get a memorial fund together for Mm. her? And if we can raise money, we could send it out to Uganda. And maybe they could build a TB clinic because the problem was so many people were coming with TB and they needed to take the medicine for for a month. Yeah. But they would go back to their home and they wouldn't take it. Yeah, of course. So... We raised, by the grace of God, £30,000 around the world, wow. built a clinic. The problem then was when people saw a building, they saw a hospital. And so more people came. So that TB <laughs> clinic became a hospital. Wow. Eventually that grew to become a major teaching hospital in Uganda, out in Luero and uh, Chiwago Hospital. And it's 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 just amazing amazing story actually what happened out there you know so they train their own nurses they train their own lab that's conditions wow. it is a phenomenal story and a lot of northern ireland people have been a part of that story yeah. both going out and serving and helping as well as friends of chiwoko in northern ireland that's a really important base of funding for it chiwoko k-i-w-o-k-o what does it mean um it's a it's a district Nice. So the original clinic was called the Barbara Kelly Clinic, named after Barbara. Yeah. And then it grew up to this huge hospital, really. So. Wow. And that was, Barbara died in 1988. How old was your, did you say daughter? Seven. Seven. Wow. How do you handle that? Uh, I'll never forget the next day going for a walk with her uh, along the ring road in Bangor just to do something and uh, uh, she turned to me and said uh, dad aren't you glad you have me otherwise you'd be all on your own wow. <laughs> <laughs> that became a very important relationship for me you know yeah but it was by it was by the grace of God you know I mean that you find out when faith it comes down to faith like we were saying earlier you find out if it's real or not at that point mm. and it was a yeah, that was a journey. I bet. And, and a journey that, um, well, and you know yourself, you know, it's once you've been through certain things, you understand other people 
in a way that you couldn't have done if you'd been to all the lectures in the world sure. on bereavement, you know. So I had to walk that journey to give me a an understanding. And, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's the difference between, I'm going to butcher this, but knowledge and wisdom. Is yeah. wisdom is that lived experience. It's, yeah, totally. And I actually have touched on something that's really, really important to me, say, in terms of education as well, too. You see, I think education should provide, in my view, wisdom, wonder, mm. a sense of wonder at this world that we're in, and a sense of worship. To me, those are three Ws that that's what education should be providing. And I think, unfortunately, you can't measure those by exams. <laughs> <laughs> How do you uh, extrapolate the third one, worship, for a non-believing society? What does that mean well, to you? I think, yeah, I think, you see, this is where it's a matter of upstream thinking again, you see, because mm-hmm. the, the thing is that if you... Um, I mean, I mentioned my, my, my favorite book, I think, when I had to fill in the book in the, for the podcast is Calvin's Institutes on the Christian Religion. It was written in the 1500s. The words Institutes is a heavy word. It was really his instruction, about, and it was mostly about the Bible. But he starts off by saying that the major part of wisdom has two elements to it, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Interesting. Now, to that's me, that's to me that's upstream thinking. Yeah. Why would you not? Yeah. What, what is wisdom? Well, it'd be good to know about God. Yeah. It'd be good to know about ourselves. Yeah. Would that not be a good place to start? So, so why not explore that? Why not go upstream? Yeah. And again, I think this is one of the things that uh, uh, is so sad about our society, and again about education. Because it, if you are trained to think, you're going to think about God. Yeah. I mean, why would you not? That's I a mean, really, it, really elegant way you put that off. You would naturally look upstream. And who knows where that would take you? Well, but so, so you're looking at a sunset or a sunrise. I mean, we all experience it, you know, a sunset or a sunrise or something, and you're going... Like, I came home the other night, and the moon was there, and there were two stars, and mm. it was a... a, a, a and, like, it impacted me. Yeah. So why would you not go and think, is there an upstream thing to this? Is that, oh, that's just the moon, the stars. <laughs> Downstream, yeah, 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 yeah. You react to exactly. what you see in front of exactly. you instead, of, instead of thinking yeah. upwards. Yeah, because yeah. we're not... It's interesting. Help, we're not being helped to think upstream. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying... What the last thing in the world you see I would want for someone is say for you to sit there and be saying, Now, Matthew, I want you to believe everything I'm going to tell you now because this is it. No, I would rather help you to think upstream. Yeah, but you know, because in this example, Stephen Hawkins could be described as someone who thinks upstream. He sees the moon and the stars and he thinks, Huh. Yeah. And he looks upstream. Sure. And he becomes one of the greatest physicists of all time. Exactly. And, an and he may have different answers yeah, exactly. to where he goes upstream. Yeah. I may not agree with those answers. I may not even think they're true. Sure. But at least let's think upstream. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, and let's have conversations yeah. about thinking upstream. This is, again, so frustrating for me, again, and it's partly related to education. If you don't teach people to think and talk and debate, so we're living in a society now where issues are being decided by sound bites or social media or how many people, da, 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 and we've lost the ability to debate, yeah. to talk about the upstream things. You know, 
I, to me, that's a poverty-stricken society mm-hmm. when it's got to that stage. Um, you ever read a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death? No, no, oh, no, no. John, you would absolutely love it. So the, the quick 15-second plug is it's all about what happens to a society when it shifts from a literature-orientated society Right. to a screen orientated society right. and it was written in nineteen in the 1980s and right. it's totally ahead of its time right. you know yeah, I would use the word prophetic around it I would re- really uh, look forward to reading that I think you'd enjoy yeah. that a lot Hard Pivot what happened in 1997 okay 1997 um, I was at that point uh, I, I'd already absorbed quite a bit about this, the brain stuff about uh, ways of learning and different things like that and I was just getting into a grasp of the difference between the right and left hemispheres. And uh, I'll explain a bit about that first and then I'll tell you what happened to me. But um, around about, so uh, let me spend forward about 10 years, okay? Uh, I was talking to a colleague in uh, Stramulus University who had a background in young enterprise in the school that he had been teaching in. Nice. And we were talking about entrepreneurs and wondering, do entrepreneurs have a grain to their brain that doesn't match the school system? Or do they even have a common grain to their brain? Because we had lots of anecdotal stories about entrepreneurs who didn't do great in school but were successful later on. Mm. So they obviously weren't thick. Now, what we found was that with the tools I had in right and left brain learning and one or two other tools that I just had developed through understanding education and learning, uh, we thought, let's look at what we call the learning preferences of entrepreneurs. And uh, we needed some funding. So we went to Invest and I, and they <laughs> said, well, look, the, you know, the Americans will be all over this. <laughs> and what I found was that the traits of entrepreneurs had been well-researched, but no one anywhere had researched their learning styles or learning mm. preferences. Nowhere. So this was a first, and it was a first for Northern Ireland. We got a small amount of funding from InvestNI, small amount of funding from Dell, Department for Employment and Learning, which existed then. I profiled 55 entrepreneurs in Northern Ireland uh, across the spectrum, male, female, young, older, and a number from the InvestNI Hall of Fame, Lord Bally Edmonds or Billy Hastings, some very well-known entrepreneurs. And uh, I used the right and left hemisphere dominance um, I used nonconformity, and I used a thing called motivation styles. And because no one had researched it before, we didn't know if there would be a result. Love that. So to our delight and amazement, what came out from that was that the vast majority, 90%, were right hemisphere dominant learners, mm. nonconforming, and concrete sequential. Now, by concrete sequential, it means they learn concretely by doing, right. not abstractly sitting in a classroom. So and they were random, concrete random, sorry. They were random thinkers. They don't think information sequentially together like that. They leap around and link things together randomly. I feel like you've just spoken to my soul. Okay. <laughs> so what we discovered was that this was the grain of their brain. This was the learning fingerprint of entrepreneurs. And then what we found, a couple of the very important things. One, another thing was this. 
if they didn't have someone working with them who was strongly left hemisphere dominant, mm. that's the high process person, very sequential, very logical, very process orientated, very conforming, doing things by the rules. If they didn't have that balance, they didn't have a business. Love that. Uh, and this just this came out of all the statistics. Yeah. So, so at the launch, and as someone who has now become a very good friend and colleague of mine, Terence Brannigan, he's not an OBE. Terence Brannigan was the first person I showed the results to, and he said, "That's me." Wow. That's me. He said, and he could see where instinctively he had done things that had made him successful and he could see also where he'd made mistakes yeah. and why he'd made them. So he, why I'm mentioning was he spoke at the launch. And what was coming out of the research for myself, it was Dr. Brian Cummins from, from uh, um, Strand Millis and I who did the research and Strand Millis were our co-partners in it, was this, excuse me, government rhetoric is we need more private enterprise to drive the economy. Yeah. Therefore, we need more entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Where are the future entrepreneurs in school? Who are they? They are the non-conforming, right hemisphere dominant, uh, concrete random learners. And what are we doing to them in school? We are making them conform. <laughs> because in school, you only reward conformity. You never reward non-conformity. So true. You never reward random thinking. Um, you never, and, and actually, as time has gone by, what I've come to realize is that the education system is completely left hemisphere dominated. Yeah. I, I haven't had one teacher who's disagreed with him that. Not only in that the inspector it is, not only that the department is, because the civil service is left dominant, because all institutions veer towards the left brain, yeah. because it's easy to measure, to manage, to administer, to set up processes, and therefore we have an education system that is biased against right hemisphere dominant learners, not only who are entrepreneurial, but who are artists, you with me, in any of the area of the arts, and all kinds of things. So government rhetoric is this, we have an education system, as you mentioned, that is completely mismatched even today. And so then we have got great things like Young Enterprise, as you mentioned earlier, have done a great job. But what, what is happening? Young Enterprise comes in and for a few hours, yeah. you get a bolt on where a young person who's got that entrepreneurial talent gets the experience of that. But then when they've done that, you go back to the proper education yeah, yeah, yeah. in class. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So and I'm saying, why is this still going on? Why is this still happening? We did that research in 2007, 2007, 2009, and then Dell funded us further for entrepreneurial research into entrepreneurial education and further education. Mm -hmm. That took about another four, four or five years on that. And out of that, then I developed a profile. So what you can, that profile can show you is where you sit on this spectrum. And the way we, we sort of uh, summarized it was this, Matthew, was that the right dominant is your entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset. That's your strong right hemisphere dominance. 
You're a very processed person is your left hemisphere, which is very much into administration and they love spreadsheets and all that kind of thing. And in the middle, you've got your enterprising person who can switch between the two. They can move from the right to the left brain depending on what they need to do. This is good because I am probably an enterprising person. You know, and I I was, him and Han, it's like, is it because I'm an owner operator? Right. You know, and I have to play both left brain and right brain. But uh, even while you were talking, I remembered something that a previous guest said. And uh, she is one of the dragons in Dragon's Den down south. And she said, when, when it comes to the final stage of the hiring process and the gridlock between one or two candidates, yeah, yeah. she always hits them with the same question. Right. The question is this. Do you like shopping in TK Maxx? Right, right. And if the person says yes, yes. she'll hire them. Right. Because... She's looking for someone who can handle the chaos, yes. enjoys going and yeah, hooking yeah. around and yeah, yeah. non-sequential and all this sort of stuff. Very good. Whereas, that's not me. Yes. John, when I have to shop, and I mean, it'll be like I'm down to my last pair of jeans because there's yeah. holes in all the other them. I'll go to next and I'll buy the exact same right. jeans I've always bought. Yeah, yeah. I want in and I want out. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't yeah, enjoy yeah. that chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would describe myself as entrepreneurial. If you looked at the, the back end of my yeah. business, there's a lot of systems in place yeah. that I've set up yeah. to make my life easier. And part of me enjoys making those systems. Yes. So I'm glad there's a middle option. So you've got, because you can work between the both. Yeah. And 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 so going back to a point you made earlier, one of the things, convictions Brian and I came out with in the research was very clearly, you cannot make an entrepreneur. They are born entrepreneurs. You can hold them back or encourage them, but you can't make them that. <laughs> now, now, how then... So you are naturally more one or the other. Mm-hmm. But however, your upbringing, education, and experience can make a big difference. So, for instance, I was brought up, and I, I am more naturally right dominant, but part of why I had my breakdown back in 97 was that I was naturally more right dominant, and I could see things in my life that were evidence of that, but I thought the right way to do things was the left dominant way. Yes. So up to that point, my diary would have it every 15 minutes blocked out in it, you know, that because I thought that was right. Yeah, that's what successful do people things. do. Yeah. And so what happens then is that I was trying to succeed in left brain ways mm. when I was right dominant and my, my brain just said, no, I'm not having any more of that. <laughs> and then what happened was that in my left brain shut down. I could not do anything sequential. If I had five things to do, I couldn't even write a list. Yeah of that and I became completely random yeah if a thing got done it got done or didn't get done <laughs> and that helped me realize as well too that even from medically when you're dealing with with a breakdown or depression it depends whether the person's right or left dominant if I had been more left dominant I'd have been becoming more OCD mm-hmm. you with me yeah in, in my life and lost that ability to be flexible mm-hmm. so the enterprising person is able to move between the two. But uh, I grew up in a home where my father was definitely more of a craftsman, more right dominant. My mother was very left dominant, but the dominant personality. Sure. So in order to get her favor in the family, you adapted to her ways of thinking and doing things. I then had a grammar school education. I then did medicine, which was very left-brained in my day. So I developed my left-brained skills to quite a strong level. That's very interesting. You with me? And what happens is for right-dominant people, they will do it if they see a purpose for it. Yeah. Okay? But that doesn't make them necessarily left-dominant. 
Yes, so, so the reason why I have the systems is because it's very painful for me not to have them, and I've learned that through experience. Yeah, so it, I guess I begrudgedly learned how the systems as a, as a means it, to it, Exactly, and that's that's classic of exactly what I'm trying to okay, explain. Cool. So so when you've got that spectrum, so, so let's think about that in education, mm-hmm. because... What you'll find is, let's say for today, to get into Stramillis today even, you have got to succeed, even if you're right dominant. Well, actually, a lot of right dominant people don't want to go into education for the first place because they didn't enjoy it. (laughs) But even if you want to get in, you've got to succeed at such a high level of left brain skills. You then do four years of what's a largely left brain training, and you go into a left brain education system. So the chances of a right dominant child meeting a right dominant teacher on the way through school are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. I'm gonna completely destroy this whole conversation by this next thing that I'm gonna throw out. Uh, I came across some really interesting research recently about uh, political spectrum in education. Mm. And I'm gonna make this stat up, so let me make this very, very clear. This is not an accurate statistic, it's a ballpark. Okay. And it was something like 80% of teachers, this is in America, are Democrats. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, it's a a silly coincidence, but just as you were saying that, it's like, oh, there's no politically leaning right people in education, and it's politically leaning left. Is there any sort of uh, research that suggests that whether someone's left or right brain dominant has a, a sway over their political preference? I don't know. I, I know there's been research in the five-factor thing on, on personality, yeah. but I don't know of any research in left and right brain. On Interesting. That. Well, know. then let's go back to what one I had in the can ready to go for such mm-hmm. a time as this. You said you interviewed 55 entrepreneurs? 55, yeah. Uh-huh. Did you do it in person? Yes. That's exciting. Yeah. Because I'm looking at you and I'm saying... You've done 55 podcasts with <laughs> some of the best entrepreneurs yeah, in Northern yeah, Ireland. Yeah. Was there a, either a highlight or a particular moment or a story that's worth sharing? Or was there something that surprised you that you learned from meeting all of those people? Well, one of the things that was, was interesting when you talked to them, when you said to them, okay, what was it in school that has most contributed to your success in enterprise? And apart from learning to do basic English and maths, it was either young enterprise or team sports or the debating society. Mm. It was nothing to do with classroom teaching. That's brilliant. That, to me, was very, very interesting. One of the other ones was that, um, and I'll not mention who this was, but um, uh, someone told me he wouldn't give me the time of day because he was renowned for being very difficult. Uh, person to work with. Which and made you want to talk to him even more. Yeah. And when I got down to see him, he was already 15 minutes over time with somebody else. So I thought this is, we spent two hours together because he was fascinated by what we were talking about. Wow. And he told me, he later, he died sometime after that and, um, and I was talking to his wife and she was recounting to me that after we had had that interview for the research, he came home. Now, this would be one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the whole of Ireland. Mm. And uh, he said how much confidence it had given to him. Wow. Because what I found in nearly all the cases, they now, they always knew they were different, but they didn't know why. And also, because the grain of their brain was so different, there was always or often a feeling that 
something's not quite right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know why. But it's like having a map and something's missing on the map. Yeah. So like what you've presented today, you're not going to... Sh- you're not going to tell people exactly where it is they're going to go. No. But you're at least going to point them in the right direction. Yes. And that direction will take them on the journey that will lead them into their own. So I'll give you an example of where we've taken that to now. Okay, for instance, is so what, what I've developed with Terry and uh, another friend is that uh, is the opportunity to go, so go into a business and say to somebody in the business, okay, well, what's your ambition for the business? Where do you, where do you want to go? And uh, they say, well, this is, this is where we want to go. Now, the normal thing people look at is, well, what's your business plan? Or what, okay. We say, no, no, who's your team? Have you got the right kind of team? Because if you, a balanced team will have your process, enterprise, and entrepreneur. And again, the way we work this out is like this entrepreneurs create new business, mm-hmm. enterprise people grow business and process people manage the business. <laughs> now you want all three. But suppose you've got a business that's just starting off and it's what we call a rising star. The balance you want is more entrepreneurial, yeah. the more risk-taking one, okay? But when you've got that going, you want the balance to be more enterprise because, and I've seen this many times, the entrepreneur keeps coming and wanting to try something new when you <laughs> haven't even got the other, okay? And mature businesses that are either going below market uh, rate or about to fall off, almost certainly are over-process mm. managed. So what we do is we go in and we say, right, let's profile the team you have. Let's find out what you've got and see what team you would need to where you want to get to. Yeah. Now, that can un- then unlock. No, it, you're, it doesn't matter how good but your business plan is. If you don't have the right team and it's not a balanced team, it's never going to happen. But this also takes me on then back to one of the really important points that you made and that is the fundamental challenge coming out of a lot of what I said today, and that is nearly all institutions veer to the left hemisphere. So I would say that's really true. I've found that experience in Invest NI, which is supposed to be promoting entrepreneurialism. You with me? But if you come along as a young entrepreneur somewhere like that, you'll find you're given all the what I call left brain hoops to go through. Write a business plan. All you with me? You know, met funny, with John, a like l- I've been through lots of entrepreneurial programs, and I'm grateful for them. Yeah. But the thing that I hated, I despised. Like I really, really begrudged people asking me to do was to write a business, business plan. plan. And because that's a left brain thing. So, so what I what I'm saying to people is. Get a left brain person to write the business plan for them. Mm. You with me? Yeah. And let them do their entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. It's the kiss of death to ask them to do that. And and it's exactly the same no matter where you go. And I find this I find it in churches, religious organizations, exactly the same moves to the left hemisphere. Civil service moves to the left hemisphere. And so this is the challenge you were talking about earlier in education is a much, much bigger challenge to me, Matthew. Yeah. It's how to get and release the right brain thinking yeah. into what is a left brain dominant world. So let's do this, okay? For me, it's clear if I was to say to you, what would happen if we waved a magic wand and removed the right brain from everybody in the world, right? Yeah. Obviously they would die, but let's park that bit. Um, if we lived in a society, sorry, let me reject that. If we lived in a society where it was only right brain, 
it would be carnage. Yes. It would be chaos. Absolutely. Be to- totally out of control, right? It'd be like the purge or something mad. Uh-huh. Apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, what is the danger of a world... Because you described how big institutions, big systems swing more and more and more and more to the left. Yeah. What's the danger in that? Like, describe a world to me where the right brain doesn't have any input. Well, if you've if you've come across uh, Dr. Ian McGilchrist, I don't know if you've come across his his book uh, in, in the early two thousands was the thing that really helped me and um, the whole right and left brain thing. And he's just written a new couple of volumes called The Matter with Things. He would probably be one of the leading thinkers in this area. And while you know not not everything he says necessarily would be. Um, uh, something I would either understand or necessarily agree with. He has been pioneering this area of the challenge we face with a left brain civilization or society that has lost a sense of the intuitive, of the infinite, of the artistic. We value things like data. Here's a good simple example, okay? The left brain values data. The left brain likes to take in accurate data because it wants to it, it needs it wants to be confident that it's going to get the right result. Yeah. So it it feeds on on data, okay? And whereas the right hemisphere is more what I call present. So sorry, the left hemisphere then takes in and represents that data. Yeah. That's your theory. The right hemisphere is more present. What's going on? Does the theory work? Yeah. Or doesn't it work, okay? So the example I used that I got from him was like, I have a bird feeder in the back garden. And when the birds are picking out which seeds they want, that's very left hemisphere, very focused thinking, all right? But at the same time, they're thinking, is there a cat around here who wants me for lunch? <laughs> that's the right hemisphere. Yeah. So that wider awareness, mm-hmm. okay, this broader, that there's something more here for us to know and experience and discover is the balance mm-hmm to the left hemisphere focused thing that wants to control and grasp and understand and use everything, which is the utilitarian aspect as opposed to the wonder aspect. It's very interesting. Uh, like I'll apply it to the world of podcasts. So, you know, we, we work with lots of different sponsors to do different series and you work with agencies who are very left brain dominant. It's yeah. all about the data. It's all about the, yeah. and often sometimes what I think can happen is you're so focused on trying to, use measurables to create something new yeah. you're trying to scientifically create a success or a hit yep, yep. that actually it stifles the risk taken and the creativity that actually makes a hit it, it, <laughs> and, but you see you've cut it you, and you see what you've put in a nutshell there this is not difficult to understand yeah you know it's not people can understand this i find people but why so the research that we did never saw the light of day in terms of being applied. You with me? It was never applied, it, uh, even to this very day. And I think, well, why would you not do that? You really, this is Northern Ireland-based, groundbreaking, yeah. first-in-the-world <laughs> research with clear application to education and to areas of business and, and thinking. Why would you not do this? Mm. My only conclusion is there's such a left-brained, if you want, resistance. Yeah. It just didn't get a hearing. So let's end here because this is what I love. I love the classic 
focusing on what's inside your control, right? That's kind of my bread and butter. It's, worth the, it's the zone I live my life in. Yeah, okay. So for the person listening, and let's do a few, right? So let's just do the individual. Yeah. And let's do the parent. Right. Or is it too much to do three? What time do you need to go? It's I'm hot. okay. Are you I'm sure? Okay. Yeah. Let's do three then. Talk to the teacher, right? They're responsible for 30 kids in their yeah, classroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget about what the system will do for them. What can that teacher do? I would say, now this is going to sound very self-aggrandizing. Uh, Buy I'd say, I'd say read the book. book. Read, read the book. Amazon, link in the description. And if you don't, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. Doesn't. But if you haven't come, if there's things in it you've never come across, it will give you tools. Yeah. It will start you thinking. It's an easy place to begin. So I mean, I'm just being honest about that. Yeah. You know. Um, and like, by the way, like I'm, I'm glad you said that because, um, how many hours do you think you put into the book? Years. If you that was were, years, no, but that was years. If you were to quantify it in hours. So to the nearest thousand. <laughs> I don't I don't even think I could do that, you know, because I took everything that I had built and developed over a 15 or 20 year period yeah. in terms of workshops and thing. I just mm -hmm. pulled that together into a book. How many pages is the book, roughly? Oh, it's not very long. How long would it take me to read? It would. Oh, you could read it in an hour and a half. An hour and a half? Oh, I. How much is it? Tenner? It's but I think at the minute it's about twelve pounds or something like right. that on Amazon. So you can get an, a man's entire life work and research yeah. on the subject yeah, yeah. for twelve pounds yeah. and ninety minutes of your time. Yeah, that's a good pitch. Yeah, I like. And what's that. even better, you can pick out a chapter that interests you. Say, so there's one chapter on the right and left hemisphere we've been talking about. Yeah, you can pick that chapter out. It's only about five pages. Great, but it will it will give information. It will give more information on the right left hemisphere than teachers are getting in teacher training college today wow. in those pages. So I th I'm going to make an assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, that that will go for parents as well. Totally. Buy the book. I would say exactly Donald the same the book. thing. It, it, was written, it was written for parents. Nice. So now we've arrived at the final, the individual, the self. If someone's been listening to this, and they feel like that entrepreneur did in your story. They feel seen. Yeah. They're dancing around their kitchen or they're yeah. tapping their feet, driving yeah. their car. Yeah. They've got a lot of pent up energy. They've got yeah. a lot of pent up motivation to act. Yeah. Beyond the book, what are some things that we can do to start to unlock some of this in our own lives? Talk to entrepreneurs, talk to other right brain people. The best thing you can do if you're right dominant at all is talk to someone else who's right dominant. An interesting thing is she said, most children by nine, you can tell if they're more right or left dominant. You know, some, I've got four grandchildren. I've seen it very early on in them. They're very different. But I would say, talk to her, get amongst other right dominant people, not to the detriment of the others, but if you nourish that. I mean, I, I, that's what feeds me off. And if you put me down in a conversation with a few other right people, that conversation is just, you're so, enthused and energized <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you with me you know? so I would say find other right dominant people and get with them find other entrepreneurs sit down and talk with them get into those conversations let your right hemisphere give it oxygen mm. you know and also 
don't do what I did, which is think the left hemisphere way is the right way to do And if you really had your act together, you'd be doing it the left hemisphere way. Don't let that happen to you. Yeah. Awesome. John, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing. I mean, I'm sharing my life here, really, you know, and I'm so thankful to have the chance to do it, Matthew. Yeah, delighted. Thanks a lot. Thank you for watching and listening. Appreciate it.